<laughs> That's a cowboy ballad, though. But y'all want y'all want to hear a cowboy ballad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sure. <coughs> it's little Joe the Wrangler. He'll wrangle nevermore. The days with his Ramuda, they are o'er. Was a year ago last April when he rode into our camp, just a little Texas stray and all James Riggle embodied the spirit of the Texas farmer. He loved his family, he loved his land and cattle, he never gave up. Although he is not with us anymore, James's legacy lives on through his family and friends and today's farm and ranch, 1349 Food and Fiber. It lives on through people who love the earth, and it lives on through the eternal optimists, and through my grandmother and my dad and me, and my hope is that through telling this story, it will live on through you too. This podcast is more than the story of a farm and ranch or an old cowboy. It is a story of the things that shape us. This is the story of Roots. I'm your host, Abby Huey. James, my great-grandfather, grew up in a poor family in South Texas at the height of the Great Depression. His father was a small tenant farmer in the local community of Pawnee, and James would often handpick cotton for other local farmers to earn money for his family. The community mostly grew cotton, which was worth very, very little in the days of the Great Depression. One thing about James is that he was a self-starter. Although James would go on to start up his own farming operation one day, he never inherited any of the land or equipment from his dad. Equality was really important in his family then, and is still really important in our family today. He never wanted it to seem that he was the favorite. Although his home life was not one of fancy shoes and trips around the world, James's family placed a high value in education. He went to high school until the 11th grade, and then went on to pursue higher education in New Mexico, where his sister was living at the time. When he finished school there, he came back to work for his dad because he couldn't go to the war due to medical reasons. However, his brother did go to the war, and when he came back, he also wanted to farm. At that time, there was neither enough land nor enough money for all three of the men to be farming the same land. So, James went to work in town. He went to work for an oil and kerosene distribution business in nearby Beeville. This is where he met Frankie, the love of his life. In 1944, after James and Frankie were married, they were living in a small rent house on FM 1349. In 1945, James and Frankie got the opportunity to start up their own farming operation on the land surrounding the rent house. Granddaddy always said that the man sent word for them in town to make the deal, and we always thought it was funny. The deal was made up of 200 rented acres, a small old tractor, a planter, and a plow, all for $1,000. James took out a loan from the local banker to take advantage of this offer, as many farmers do, and resigned from his job in town. James said that this was always the hardest part, letting go of something consistent to do something risky. This is a struggle that many young business entrepreneurs face, whether in agriculture or technology or otherwise. You have to be willing to jump off the deep end. Around this same time, James and Frankie had started raising a family of their own. They had three daughters, Janice, Cherry, and Patty. And in April of 1951, James purchased his first 104 acre piece of land for $100 an acre. And then the next 100 acres was purchased in 1954. 
Over the next 53-ish years, James and Frankie would purchase an almost continuous 1,500 acres all along Farm to Market Road 1349. Initially, James grew broom corn, which is a popular commodity of the time, and sold it to a broom corn factory in Beeville. This is where they make like the yellow stick brooms that are pretty common still today. It didn't take long though before he switched over to other commodities. He grew cotton, he grew corn, and then he even grew maize once upon a time. He also began raising cattle on all of the land that he'd acquired. James hired cotton pickers of his own, just as he had done when he was a boy. And there are even stories of his daughters, Janice and Cherry, picking cotton in the fields in the afternoon. This is where everything really began and where our family has been rooted ever since. A couple of weeks ago, I called my great aunt Cherry to talk to her more about my great grandfather and the origins of today's ranch, which is called 1349 Food and Fiber. Although Cherry and her sisters never officially took over the farm, they've moved back to the area and have played a big part in the future of the farm since James passed. Aunt Cherry and I talked a lot about the past and about James and the farm, but mostly we told stories. As when I was little, before school started, I would ride around with Daddy all day in the pickup. And I'd go with him early in the morning, and we'd go check the cows or the crops or whatever. When it came time, like all of my little friends at Sunday school, they all went to kindergarten. It was a private kindergarten because there wasn't any public back in the olden days. <laughs> and um, they were all going to Mrs. McClung's kindergarten. And Mother and Daddy asked me if I wanted to go to school, and I said no because I wanted to stay home and ride around with the daddy. So when it was time to go to first grade, they said it's time to go to school. And I said, I don't want to go. I mean, every other kid wants is anxious to start, start school, but I didn't because I loved being with daddy, riding around, looking at the cows and the crops and hearing him sing. Even 60 years ago, it was pretty unusual for kids to come from a specifically ag-based background. Aunt Cherry said she was the only one of her friends who didn't live in town. But even so, James never really talked to his girls about the family business. At that time, a woman's place was in the kitchen. It really, I mean, we would hear mother and daddy talk, but we, what I remember is we never had a good year. You know, there was always, you know, we never, you know, we weren't going to make any money this year. And Janice took that to heart. And <laughs> she told her kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Whitten, because she said it was the first week of school. She said, now all of you need to bring 75 cents to buy the math workbook. And Janice went up and said, I'm sorry, but we don't have any money. We can't afford it. <laughs> Of course, she was a friend of the family, so she called mother and daddy, and he was the banker, <laughs> and she said, your daughter thinks that you have no money for to buy the math workbook. <laughs> so they all thought it was pretty funny, but Janice took all of that to heart, where I, you know, said, sure, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so we really didn't talk about with me. I don't remember him, you know, we you know, he'd say, Look how dry it is out there. And I remember when he'd wanna buy a tractor or, you know, 
big piece of equipment. I remember he and mother would talk about it. Mother would usually say no, because she was really the bookkeeper. <laughs> and then daddy would do whatever he wanted to. One of the biggest things that Cherry and Claude and I talked about that was really relevant then and is still super relevant in production agriculture today is finances, accounting for risk. James was constantly saving. He kept his belt tight, only spending money where he absolutely needed to. This was to create a cushion for bad crop years. He and Frankie even used certain bookkeeping methods to ensure that if something were to go wrong, they had something to keep them afloat. Yeah, that was kind of my... When I first got to know, uh, well, we were already married, and, and I, I wondered why Granddad and Grandmore kept their savings in CDs. They had some very small IRAs, but you know, and the return was uh, not great. You know, two three percent at best in in those days. When you can in the stock market, you were doing. You know, everybody was. 15, 10, 15%, you know, kind of every year. And it wasn't until a lot later that I understood kind of the, the risk he took every year or a farmer takes every year in, you know, getting your operating loans to borrow money to buy the seed, buy the fertilizer and, and operate. And then it's all dependent on whether it rains and whether, you know, you have a lot of things at other people's disposal. So anyway, there's so much risk in his business. He didn't need to take his savings and put it at risk. It, the savings were there as a backdrop in case you had a failure. One thing about Granddaddy and the way he handled things is he rarely did things just to help himself. It was about his family, the land, the community, even other farmers. All in all, the operation was rarely about him. Yeah, he was on the bank board and uh, he was on the federal land bank and you know I think he was helping farmers you know as well as he was using their services to uh, you know expand agriculture in the area by getting them some you know um, some feasible lending rates to actually buy property and then be able to pay for the property and make money uh, farming on it at the same time so I remember he was on the conservation board, and that's when I think he started terracing. That was a form of conservation, and nobody was doing terraces back then. Had a lot of soil erosion yeah. issues in this part of the country. You have a big rain, and then you just cut big ravines through the uh, through the cropland, and uh, of course. You, you didn't have the big earth-moving equipment. Yeah. So it was all these low horsepower tractors that were, you know, they were doing two and four-row stuff. <laughs> that was that was big time when, when, they, when he originally got started. In all the things that James did in his life, nothing mattered to him more than his family. When my dad came into the picture, it was like farm at first sight. James and my dad were very, very close from the get-go, and any time my dad could spend on the farm, he was there. Sometimes, my dad's cousin would join, but no one ever loved farming the way that my dad and granddaddy did. My dad and my cousin Austin would go down to Beeville and drive tractors and help with harvest in the summer. 
always learning from granddaddy's wisdom and work. I guess it is only right that my dad would eventually bring this land into his own farming operation and maintain the JR brand. That's who we are. We are nothing without the people that build us up. It's probably kind of the strength of this family. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't articulated kind of with them growing up that, that, hey, family's most important, but they just lived their life that way. Yeah, Daddy, I mean, Daddy instilled in us family was the most important thing. The deep love and commitment that James cultivated into both his family and his land are what has brought us back to this place and back to agriculture for generations. Next time on Roots, get a glimpse of today's operation on 1349. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.